Welcome back to More Than Rice and Beans, your mother-son podcast celebrating all things Latinx. I'm Tanya, the founder, chef, and event planner at Koki the Chef in the Bronx, New York. And I'm Miguel, Tanya's son, and a PhD student at Johns Hopkins University studying mechanical engineering and working with NASA and Artemis Prime. Miguel may be helping the United States get back to the moon, but our guest today is on a mission of her own. Wendy Ramirez is the founder and CEO of Spanish Sin Pena, a language learning school dedicated to empowering individuals with Latinx heritage to feel confident about speaking Spanish. Wendy is an East LA native with roots of El Salvador and Mexico, but did not grow up speaking Spanish fluently. After graduating from Loyola Law School and spending years working in education and advocacy, Wendy launched Spanish Sin Pena to create a fun, safe space for Spanish speakers to connect in all levels, support each other, and reclaim Spanish. Her work has been featured on ABC News, The Los Angeles Times, Telemundo, and more. And we're so excited to welcome Wendy to the show. And I'm excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, you're welcome. So I've had the pleasure of taking some courses at Spanish Sin Pena, and I shared my story already through one of your podcasts, actually, with Spanish Sin Pena. Um, can you tell us a bit about your story and what made you decide to actually start finally becoming fluent in Spanish and then also starting the company as well? Yeah, I think my story started really when I was a teenager, and I would always, you know... I was a I was a bad teenager. I would get in a lot of trouble and I wouldn't go to school and I really, you know, I, I was just lost. But what really changed my life around was helping my community, working in the community. And that's really what was then my driving force to pay attention in school and go, you know, and, and want to go to college. And one of the things that I thought I wanted to do was be a leader, be an elected official and I would watch the news and I would always see like people that look like me, like Latino representatives, really struggling to say their message in Spanish. And I just thought to myself, like, that's me right now. Like, do I want to continue being that way? Like, or the people that I want to talk to is my community that speaks Spanish. Do I want to struggle that way or do I want to improve it? And that's when I decided that no, you know, like I could, I could bring it, I could bring my Spanish back because I lost it. So I wanted to improve it, and I decided that I was going to study, not just political science. Like I'm, I also minored in Spanish, and I went to go study abroad in Mexico City. Then I went to go study abroad in Spain for a year, and just really made it a point to improve my Spanish and to be able to communicate with my community. And I did eventually end up working in politics, but it wasn't the way that I thought it would be, but I'm just really grateful and happy that Spanish did open a lot of professional doors for me. Um, and I'm still trying to help my community with what I'm doing now. So that's a little bit about my story. Yeah, and I'm curious, how did it, um kind of change or shift some of your connections with Latin American culture too? Yeah, 100% it did. I think that number one, I think there's so many different Spanishes, right? Like my family is from El Salvador, but I grew up, my stepdad's from Mexico and I grew up in East LA where there's just Mexicans. And so growing up, I know that I was, I, I did not use the Spanish, the Spanish words that are used in El Salvador because of the community that I was surrounded in. And so I really did it. You know, I, I lost a lot of those words as well. But moving to Washington, D.C., where there's a huge uh, Salvadorian community and then working in El Salvador, like I had one project where I was go I went to El Salvador more than like 12 times in a year and a half to work on elections there. It really felt it, like learning the words again, hearing the accent, even though I didn't grow up with it as much because I grew up in East LA, it just made me feel more connected to my culture, my history, my family, the people of El Salvador. And so it was really beautiful to, to feel that. And then for me, after that, like traveling to 
a lot of different Latin American countries. And just, I was always just really curious of the differences between each country and how do you say, you know, beans, for example, right? Like habichuelas, frijoles in Colombia, you know, they say frijol with like a different accent. And so I'm just always, I always was really curious and I love bringing all of that in to teaching at Spanish Sin Pena because it does connect you to your culture, to your history, to your community and to other communities um, that are here, you know. Yeah. And so you worked, I know you worked a lot with Congress. You mentioned it a little bit while you were in uh, Washington, D.C. I'm curious, and with Spanish being the the second most spoken language in the world, was there really any representation of it in Congress? No, (laughs) no, not at all. There was not. I mean, I think I, I, I hope things have changed since I was there. It was a while ago, but I don't think so. I don't think things like there is no, for example, things are not things are not printed in or produced in Spanish for Spanish speakers. Um, if anything, I feel that the Latino community, besides the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, besides them, for them there is because they, you know, represent a lot of Spanish speaking constituents. So. Some of the things that come out of the Hispanic caucus might be in Spanish, but when I was there, there was very little Spanish spoken or even any documents translated or any information given out in Spanish, even with members of Congress who had a very high percentage of their constituents who probably spoke Spanish. But again, it's not a population that people are dying to help or address, in my opinion. If anything, I saw the complete opposite of people really wanting to erase the language from, yeah, yeah. One of the things to me, because I worked on immigration, one one of the times that I will always remember was we went in to go talk to this group who was very anti-immigrant. Right. And they wanted, you know, they were the ones publishing things saying that immigrants come with diseases that, you know, just very anti-immigrant. But we're sitting in the table. I was sitting in the table with them. It was like the first time, you know, just for me being in this environment where people are just so against, you know, like your culture, your people. But I was sitting there and just listening to their arguments of why, you know, why they want to exclude immigrants and all of the rhetoric they have. And I remember thinking like, and language was one of them, right? Like they would insist that people come and they don't assimilate and that they don't, you know, blend into the culture. And I'm just sitting there thinking in my head to myself, like, if you guys only knew that we lose our language in one generation, like, you know, like, what the heck are you so afraid of? Like, we stop speaking Spanish by second and third generation for sure. And, you know, like, I, I was just, you know, obviously that's not something that I said in the meeting, but it was just something that I felt. And so that's a little bit of the work that I'm trying to do is make sure that we don't lose the language in one generation or two. Yeah. yeah, Miguel can relate to that experience, right, Miguel? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean the yeah the I mean you you tried to teach me Spanish a little bit. Spanish was my first language, but um, like with my mom, the the problem was that when I when we came here, it was like all right, he either learns English and assimilates quickly, or a guy, especially I, had trouble with the two languages at the same time being so young, I couldn't quite understand either one. And so then it was like, all right, now you have to choose. And that's a hard thing for, I know, I'm sure even for my mom as a parent, that must have been a hard decision. Yeah. But the truth is, I mean, honestly, even parents that make it like that really want their children to speak, to be bilingual and speak both, both languages or want to teach the children Spanish. I could see it in my sisters. It's not easy. It's not easy because you are 
in a society where everything's in English and you go to school and even if you go to a dual immersion, maybe then you're getting some Spanish, but you know, it's really hard and it takes a lot of work and for parents to be, to ensure that their kids are speaking Spanish because everything around us is in English and we live in an English dominant world. So if you don't really make the effort, go out of your way and expose your children to the language, naturally it's, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be difficult. So I don't think, you know, and a lot of parents feel sometimes feel guilty that, oh, I should have done a better job or I could have done this and that. But the truth is, it's even if, you know, even if you did everything you can, the odds are still really against you. And it's still going to be really hard, especially because even if we if you do have like dual immersion at the beginning when you're a child and there's more and more of those programs you go to college in English, in English, you know, yeah. like you, you work in English. So it's really hard to even have that vocabulary or feel confident speaking, even if you, even if you know it, because I'm sure that the Spanish is there. It's like you, you listen to it, you know, you would hear it and you know it, but it's a lot of the times it's the confidence that you're going to make a mistake, that there's, you know, that they're going to make fun of you, or there's something that always, you know, hits you with the confidence, but it's kind of plays into the name of your, of your company, the Spanish Simpina. Oh, how did you come up with that? Because that that is a very like succinct, like great name. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. I, um, it's so funny though, because I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I did, I did hire someone to help me, but all the names that they proposed, I didn't like. So I, I ended up coming with the name, coming up with the name myself. And it was really after interviewing um, my friends and people that I knew that struggled with the language and hearing their story. Like I could see amongst them that there was a common thread of that feeling embarrassed, feeling shame. And so that's, really and i wanted the name to be spanglish you know i wanted yeah. it to be to be both in spanish and in english because that's part of our identity and that's part of like who we are and a lot of a lot of the times at least in my generation i feel that it's changed so much now but before it was like you either speak spanish or you speak english but you don't mix them you know you have to separate them and so I don't think I don't think that's the case. I think that, you know, language evolves and, and you know, and, and it's there for us to communicate. So I really wanted something that was in Sp- Spanglish that captured what my friends were telling me they were feeling with Spanish. And what I also felt myself like I also felt that shame or that pena of not being as articulate or as fluent as I as I wanted to be. Wow. <laughs> So I'm a first generation from Puerto Rican parents. I'm called New Yorican because I'm kind of mixed and I um, I speak Spanglish. But uh, my first language was Spanish because that's all my parents really spoke. So when I went to school, my first grade, I had no idea how to like the ABCs, the one, two, threes, nothing, nada, nada, nada. Couldn't spell the word cat. I had no idea anything. I got left back because I had no help from my parents either because they couldn't even spell cat either. So it was very difficult. And I went to Catholic school. And you would think that Catholic school would sit down with me and try to teach me a little bit of English. They kind of like left me on my own. So my mother had to hire somebody to help me, you know, learn a little bit more English. And it was basically a babysitter who had a little girl who was like smarter than me to teach me how to read in English. And she knew Spanish also. So it was it was very interesting learning going from that transition and learning more English. And I fell in love with English because in the books that she would read to me were Disney books and that for me felt magical. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to learn more English because I was like, wow, I get to learn all these Disney Cinderella, Snow White. I fell in love with English because of the magical books. 
So it's a it's story because I never told Miguel this story either. <laughs> I don't yeah, think Miguel I'm, this even. This is all new to me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think Miguel ever knows that I got left back on the first grade and everything. But it was just so unique in its own way, the English language, that I wanted to leave Spanish behind. And then as I grew up, I realized that I didn't fit in when I spoke Spanish, especially when I was in Catholic school, even though I had other students that were that would speak Spanish too, but they sort of like didn't want to speak it. So I felt left out. I felt like I was like, I have to learn English. I have to fit in. I have to fit in. I have to fit in. I started to fit in, but then I realized that where I was growing up, there was nowhere to go if I really didn't know English well. And as when I had my kids, I decided, you know, I want my kids to learn English and I want them to learn the best English ever because I don't want them to not have the opportunities that I couldn't get. So I felt like I would have been able to get more opportunities if I knew English well and then I didn't have the accent. So I had all this judgment on me and that's why I wanted my kids to learn English more. And um, I felt a little, tiny bit guilty not teaching them Spanish well or teaching my Spanglish. Some, but I felt even better knowing that they're going to make it in the world and they're going to do things I would never be able to do because I, I know both languages. So sadly, you know, I did that, but in a way I was very happy that I did. So I have these mixed feelings about it. My daughter knows uh, both languages. She doesn't know them well. She's very much like me. She changed, she tunes, she changes it around. She speaks Spanglish and everything. But I was like, okay, I got a second chance. I got to do it with my son then. <laughs> yeah, but then now I'm going back. Now I'm regressing. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to go back to the Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> But it's nice to have a mini me, though. Um, a mini, my daughter's like a mini me, and then my son is the other side of like, oh yeah, I made it, I made it happen. <laughs> but yeah, it's true. Um, all right, so Miguel took the classes with you guys, and he learned a lot. So can the two of you tell us what makes Spanish in Pena different from other language programs? Yeah, well, I'm going to let Miguel answer this one because yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll go second. I'll go second, but I'll, right. I don't know, Miguel. Did, did you take any other Spanish courses anywhere yes. else? I I took a few in high school and I took a few in college, and I I did like Duolingo. I've tried a lot of different things, but the biggest issue was uh, was always uh, like I knew a good amount of Spanish already because I always heard it growing up and everything. And I even like my accent wasn't terrible in Spanish either. But the biggest issue that none of those classes were ever able to give me was like literally just having the confidence to even say something in Spanish to someone. So that was like the the biggest thing about Spanish Saint Pena is that um, I got to connect with people who had very similar stories as me. And so because of that, I kind of didn't feel like I was alone. Like I felt like I had a community. Um, and then with that, like feeling of a community of other people who felt the same way, it gave me the confidence to actually start speaking um, to people in Spanish. And so I visited Puerto Rico like last year and I was actually speaking to everyone in Spanish and it felt so good. <laughs> <laughs> That's the main, the main factor, I think, of Spanish in Pena. I love I love hearing that, and yes, that's what a lot of our students tell us is the the confidence piece. And so I think that one of the things that we address that not other language courses or programs don't address is the emotional barriers, really, because that that's you know you sharing your story, Tanya and Miguel sharing your story. Just we all have a story, and in that story there's many layers that are connected to our identity and who we are and, you know, kind of like what we believe in and what we hope. And we, we try to address that, you know, we try to, we're always sharing our stories and that's why it feels like a community because people get to know each other, get to know each other's stories, the stories of their parents, of their grandparents, and just bringing all that into to learning is something that, I don't know. It just, to me, it just, it feels like natural. Like that's what we should be talking about when we're learning this language and the connection that we have to it. Um, it's not something that I sat down and I'm like, oh, let me, let me 
make this a focal point, but I just, I felt, I felt like it just happened naturally. And so that's what makes us very different. I think that just addressing that, addressing the fact that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of layers to the language that's connected to our identity. And a lot of programs don't talk about identity. You know, they just look at the language independently. But for me, it's like, you can't, try to learn the language and talk about without talking about your identity. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of one of the big um, pieces that I think. I think, I think another one that I almost forgot to mention too, is uh, a lot of those like Spanish classes that I've done in the past focus specifically on Spain, Spanish. Well, you guys really like, like you guys really give us the idea and confidence that like it's okay to also speak like your slang Spanish from the country that you come from, um, yeah. which also helps with like forming that sense of identity. Because if you like learning like Spain Spanish, I don't really identify with that very well because there's they're like not saying biscocho for cake or like bochinche for gossip. So it's like things like that that. Um, I feel disconnected with it when I'm tr- when I'm learning that that Spanish in that way. Yeah, yeah, I, and that's the other thing is like number one, they're like I mentioned, there's such a big diversity in Latin America, and so, but that's also reflected here in the U.S. Right, depending on where you li- live geographically, the community, the Spanish-speaking community in your neighborhood, will come from a certain region. And here in the U.S., it all mixes and blends, and that's where the Spanglish a lot of times comes in. Even though in Puerto Rico, I feel like Puerto Rico, because of the history and the U.S. presence there, Spanglish is so much more common there. And, you know, you hear it everywhere. And I think it's beautiful. I I personally think it's beautiful, but there are a lot of people that of the opinion, especially Spanish teachers, who feel it's incorrect Spanish, it's the wrong way to speak. But how are you going to tell someone that lives in Puerto Rico and speaks predominantly Spanish if they use, you know, a Spanglish word that their Spanish is incorrect? To me, that that's like a huge no. And even like for Spanish Sin Pena, we did have, you know, I did hire one um Spanish teacher specifically to help with a little bit of the grammar. And one of the questions that I asked in my application was, how do you feel about Spanglish? And one of the responses from one teacher was like, I hate it. Yuck. Uh, you know, like that's what they put. And I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> like, this, this, Old school. <laughs> this person would, yeah, like the next person. And that that question alone really brought me to the right candidate. And, but yeah, you know, that's what it, one of the things that I think traditional Spanish language learning um, focuses on is like, everything has to be grammatically correct. Spain, La Real Academia, you know, the Espanol. It's supposed to be the institution that says, yes, this is correct, you know, like, and for me, like, no, language is what you're using. The slang is the hardest. I mean, I think for me, the slang is the hardest because that's always changing. And it's really hard to understand that. And it's so funny when I tell people that because I think speaking professional Spanish is harder, but I'm like, no, that's easier because that that doesn't change as much and it's really easy to understand and there's more of a universal professional Spanish throughout Latin America is when you get to the slang that that you hear so many different words depending on which country and that's changing more because what people what kids are saying in the street is always changing but um but yeah we address all of it and and just kind of give that confidence of it doesn't matter where you're at, be curious to learn. And that's, you know, be curious to learn and be brave to try. You know, that's kind of the, my philosophy. That reminds, that reminds me of the, what is it, the the Grammys where Bad Bunny was uh, <laughs> giving his presentation and then um, in the caption it said, what is it, uh, speaking non-English? Yes. <laughs> I was like, wow, speaking non-English. 
they couldn't translate what he Wait, was is saying. that really what it said? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I did not know that. Yeah, it, it became crazy. a whole thing. I, now there's teachers t-shirts of it say speaking I speak non-English. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and what I what really gets I mean, I can I, I know a lot of things gets to a lot of things get to me, but what this is really interesting is the fact that they had time to translate, but they chose not to. And then I saw this interview with this lady where they were talking about why, you know, they could have translated, but they didn't. And she thinks it's because he his Spanish comes from El Barrio, he, where he grew up. He has a different kind of, um, how do you call that? A different Spanish, different words. Dialect. That maybe, okay. Dialect, yes, that... Puerto Ricans will understand who probably are from that barrio or from that community or from that county or whatever, you know, and, and it, I understand some of it. And sometimes I don't understand some of it. Sometimes I have to ask my cousin, what is he saying? You know, <laughs> it's like, I have no idea, you know, and he would tell me, oh, he's saying this. I was like, what? Really? Like, it, is they're changing. It's true what you said. The words are changing. Where are you yeah. coming from? And the age. Even English. I mean, like, the other day I saw a TikTok video of these parents trying to understand what their kids are saying. You know, with their <laughs> own dialect, too. And, I'm, and these kids are like Gen Zs or something. And I'm, like, thinking, wow, this is this is tough. But, okay. You know, what we have to do is assimilate with the new generation as well. No, maybe yeah. watch more TikTok videos and try to understand them. Uh, I don't know if that's, uh, <laughs> that's uh, right thing to do. <laughs> uh, well, what if we actually translate Bad Bunny songs in some oh, of our classes? Oh, you do? Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. That must be interesting. I want to be part of that class. <laughs> it's, it's so funny, though, because, yeah, there's a lot. Of, and I've looked up a lot of the words. And you can find them, though. I mean, I think even the slang words that are in the songs that I have no idea you can find what it says or you can ask people, you know, mm -hmm. and I, that's, that's the only thing that I tell people is like, there's always just have the curiosity to want to know rather than be like, kind of like, you know, the Grammys were, Oh, it's too hard. We're just going to ignore it. And we're just, yeah. not gonna, we're just not even going to try. That's really mm -hmm. what they said. Right. We're just, right. maybe, maybe they said, this is, we're not even going to try because it's too hard and we don't understand it. And so, yeah, that shows poor, you know, it, it just like really um, shows a lack of curiosity, a lack of understanding, a lack of representation. And I, you know, they got a lot of backlash for that. And so they did go back and, and added the, you know, after the fact, because they really, did, yeah, yeah, after the fact, they went, they went in. So when you streamed it, or you watched it, it did have the Spanish lyrics. Oh. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I think Bad Bunny is really um, making changes in his own strange way, but he is, you know, <laughs> and it's it's very interesting to me how how something that we find so simple can be complicated to others, you know, mm -hmm. it's just amazing to me. So actually, I didn't know about this originally, but apparently Spanish Sin Pena is offering cultural immersion experiences now. Oh, we're kind of curious to see what what do you think are the benefits of cultural immersion for learning Spanish? And then how is it like for like the first group to see them? Yeah, we did actually a Spanish in Pena trip to Yucatan, Merida, when we first started um, for Dia de los Muertos. And it was beautiful. It was just a really small group. Spanish in Pena was just barely starting. This was probably 2019 or yeah. And then in 2020, March of 2020, we had a small group going to Colombia. And of course, that got canceled because of the pandemic. Yeah. And so we spend a lot of time just online doing our online classes, maybe with local meetups. But then, you know, when we had the opportunity that, you know, last year we went to Puerto Rico and on a volunteer trip that was more focused on just how can we help? How can we, how can our community um, come together and how can we support um, the community in Puerto Rico. But for me, so since the beginning, I, I would say that traveling to the region was has always been part of like my vision for Spanish Sin Pena. And the benefits of it, I think, are so many. Number one, it gives you something to look forward to. 
it gives you something to work towards, you know, and then, you know, so that kind of keeps you motivated and engaged in the learning. And then once you're there, you're learning on the spot, you know, like you're learning and you hear the nuances of the differences. Like maybe you thought something was called, you know, one word and then you'll hear another word for the first time. And so to me, that's kind of one of the best ways to learn because it's not just even the differences in in some of the words in Spanish. It's not just even by country, it's by region. So even depending on what region of a country you go to, if it's Mexico City, it's going to be different than Yucatan where we were at. If it's, you know, like Cartagena would be different than like um, Medellin. And so you're not going to really get that unless you actually go to those places. And also for you to just be able to build that confidence by practicing. So it's very intentional that there are, for me, that you travel, but not just as a tourist, you know, and staying in touristy places where English is generally the language that it's spoken, but that you go out and interact with people from the region and, you know, in, in, a, in a respectful way, but also learn the culture, the history, the words, the foods, everything, you know, just kind of like all that, it, I think, gets people excited. And so, yeah, I'm excited that finally, I think it's safe enough that we are, you know, bringing back those cultural trips and, yeah, just kind of excited to see to see people grow and, you know, just kind of how much fun they have when they when they join us. <laughs> I heard that you also take your students to cooking classes. Why is it so important to you to include Latin cuisine in the program? Because that's what brings us all together. <laughs> you know, like, I think that's true. true. It, there's a few things that I think get people really, really excited. Food and music, you know, like those those two things. And, you know, thank you, Tanya, for for you know teaching one of our cooking class which i i wasn't able to participate live but i watched the recording and i was just like this is great and so yeah i think that foods are really what what we what we can all connect with right and there's no barriers there's no shame there's no like oh you know we just want to have good food and so yeah i think in everything the truth is that everything is an opportunity to teach the language but food is just one of those things that connects you and so i think it's important like we spend one of our one of our sessions or units just talking about food just there's such a variety of words and also just building that confidence especially for beginners to be able to go to a place and order in spanish and not feel embarrassed and just so yeah, I think that, you know, like food is part of our culture that stays with us even when we lose the language. And what is your favorite food growing up? Like I said, I grew up in a very Mexican neighborhood, so obviously tacos. <laughs> you know, like tacos. Mm -hmm. But I do have like from my from my culture traditionally, we have this um this dessert called empanadas but they're not empanadas like like the chilean empanadas or like the puerto rican empanadas or even the colombian ones these are sweet empanadas they're made out of platano um the platano is is basically um smashed and then made into a masa type of a thing and inside you put this cream custard or you could put beans Actually, they make them either with beans or with crema, and then you fry them, and then you put sugar on top of them. And so that's a sabotaje wow. empanada, <laughs> and it's my favorite dessert. Oh, I got to taste that. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, you got to send me a recipe, girl. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Do you remember the first time you ordered a meal entirely in Spanish? I don't remember ordering, like, the first time I ordered a meal entirely in Spanish. Here, in you know, like I said, I in the U.S., I probably did. 
But I, what I do remember is ordering meals in different Latin American countries and learning that, like I was saying, that words are different. And so sometimes they would understand what I was saying and sometimes they wouldn't. Like, for example, I'll give you an example in Peru, I think it was, where I wanted to order a tea, un té, right? That's what we call it. But over there they say infusión. Uh, so, yeah, so just like little things like that. You know, the first time I went to Mexico too, right? Here we have, you know, carne asada. That's what we call it. And over there, they don't call it carne asada. They're like bistec. You know, like, or uh, arrachera, arrachera was, is the other way. And so those little things that, you know, even that you're like here and you're like, yeah, I know Spanish. I know how to say tea or, you know, beef or this and that. And then you go to another place and you realize like, oh, they call it something different here. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I've, I've, that's happened to me quite a few times in different, in different countries. Like also the first time I found out habichuelas were beans you know I was like what habichuelas do you know the history of bister why it's called bister no it's no. actually spanglish it's beef steak but they say uh. bister <laughs> <laughs> you know because it, it, uh, a Puerto Rican you know they like to make up words so I don't know if that really comes from Puerto Rican but from what I heard all my life was bister you know, and if there is a parking, parking, you know, parking. Uh -huh, like, uh -huh. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. And then I always heard the, the like baby car seats. They literally just call them calci. <laughs> calci. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, uh, it's so, because I've heard bistec in Mexico, right? And so one of the things that we were going over in one of our classes is what they call anglicismos. So it's kind of the opposite of Spanglish is when, in Spanish-speaking countries, they adopt English words. Um, and so, viste, you know, there's there, there's a bunch of other words, also like professional words. And that was something new that I learned when I was first in Mexico, that there was this thing like, oh, they're adopting a lot of English words here as well. So I know another one that I hear a lot is like hangyar. Like that's, uh, that's adopted from hangyar. English. And that is that is just Puerto Rican. The first time I heard Hungarian, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not only that, but the, I saw when I saw the spelling, you know, right? Like, hey, Hungarian. Yeah, I was like, what is this? <laughs> and the yeah. fire hydrant is La Pompa. La Pompa. Like, <laughs> it pumps the water. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I think it's beautiful, right? I think it's beautiful. And I think it's just, again, you know, like no one, no one can tell you, oh, that's wrong or that's incorrect. Because if you use it and you've heard it, use it, if you heard it used and people understand what you're saying, then you're communicating and that's what's, that's what's important. So let's talk about a bit about your work in Puerto Rico for the Hurricane Fiona. Um, just wanted to see what was that experience like, first organizing it and then actually being there on the ground and helping out. Yeah, I mean, organizing it was a little a little tough just because it, we traveled right after the Thanksgiving break. So it was a little hard, you know, just kind of planning for a lot of places were either taking a vacation or just not doing things on that week that we were there. But, you know, always like with Spanish in Pena, I always say focus on the intention and the intention really was for me and for, you know, like the group coming with us to help and support and just show people that, you know, they're not alone, that, you know, like we're not, we know we weren't going to change anything, but I always said, vamos a poner nuestro granito de arena, you know, like, or granito de arroz, you know, just kind of how can we help even if it's in a small way. And I think it was being there, it was just really, it was really beautiful. I, it was a different way of traveling. Like what I said, you know, we really got to hear people's stories of how they take care of themselves and their community. And that's, what I admire about Puerto Rico and the people of Puerto Rico is just like, not just their resiliency, but just 
also the the attitude that they like the positive good energy attitude that they put you know everything into one of the organizations that was really that we worked with one day was Techos Pa Mi Gente and um the founder just came and told us her story of like after the first hurricane maria how there was all these homes that did not have you know a roof and so there was no communication of course in the island because there was no electricity for months but you know she slowly and i don't want to tell her story because she tells it so beautifully but slowly it's just she saw that there was a huge need and also a huge population of people wanting to help of people wanting to donate either resources to like or to help and so she put those things together and created this organization which does amazing work and so just hearing hearing those stories and hearing you know like and seeing people that are working in the community and talking to them it was just a beautiful experience i think for for the whole group for all of us and it just really brought us also closer to one another i think everyone that was on this trip we just created this real special bond um and we did a little bit of of everything right we did that where we worked with community organizations and just kind of helped with our labor but we also just kind of did fun things which was like going to El Yunque and going to the beach and this you know that in itself also created really cool experiences like going to El Yunque I took the group through a very dangerous <laughs> and very muddy and so they all felt like survivors after that and and um now we laugh about it right but when we were in there I'm like oh sorry guys but um, and then like being at the beach when we're at the beach, I was just like, okay, I haven't been strict about speaking Spanish, but on the beach we can only speak Spanish, and so it was really nice to just see people like creatively trying, you know, whether they were making up words in Spanish or whatever, you know, we just had a really good time, and it was a lot of fun, and I think it was just one way for us to, yeah, to just show the love that that we have and the, you know, and it really was an honor for us to meet the the people working there and seeing the work that they do and just kind of put you know a little bit you know just help in in a small way that we could what other causes are near and dear to your heart mm. immigration is definitely one of the ones that i mentioned i spend a lot of time working on immigration from when i was a teenager to my work in congress uh, honestly like i i stayed there and i was working there because of that issue and so it's very frust but it's very frustrating just kind of to see our policies and the way that it, regardless of what administration is in power regardless of what party is in power is the way that we undervalue um people's lives really and and the way that people are living now is just one of those things that really um it really you know drives me i think to kind of continue to do the work that i'm doing because i know that a lot of our students at Spanish Sin Pena some of them are educators some of them you know are therapists some of them are nurses so so many different professions but the population that they're trying to help is the spanish speaking population and for the most part that's the immigrant population and so i see the work that i do indirectly helping that community and um but i wish i could do more honestly like i really did wish i could do more but um it's what i can do now there are some social projects that i have done in the past for example with when covid hit just delivering um school supplies and backpacks and and just like really positive messages to children of farm workers in the Central Valley in California and so I'm always looking for different ways or different projects that I could that are really dear to my heart or where I feel I can do something where I see a problem and I feel like oh I have a skill or I have the resources to to make the situation a little bit better or to you know just kind of try to help. But yeah, I think so immigration is one of those issues. 
I would say the other issue dear to my heart is also indigenous um, rights. <laughs> uh, you know, we we talk a lot about speaking Spanish and a lot of people say, oh, Spanish is just another uh, European colonizer language. And, and the truth is maybe, and this is also why we don't focus on the Spain Spanish, because I think that the language has been adopted in every region and there's words that are still, you know, tied to our native roots. And I know in Puerto Rico, there's so many and everywhere you could see those words everywhere. And it's, it's beautiful, but I feel that, you know, there are still people that don't speak Spanish in Latin America. There's a lot of indigenous communities still speaking their language and preserving their language is also difficult. So I also see a common thread with the work that I do and the work that those communities are doing in Latin America to preserve their language. And in a lot of places it gets lost. Um, but I know there's efforts of people documenting the languages and trying to teach it to the new generations. And so the first place that we went to, like I mentioned, Yucatan, Merida, it's so beautiful because they speak Mayan there and you can still see it. But it was the same story that we have here, like parents and parents not teaching their children Mayan because they wanted them to learn Spanish, because they wanted them to have opportunities, because if they come into the city speaking Mayan, they get discriminated. You know, yes. like it's the same story that we see ourselves with here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. that they have there. So, yeah, that's another issue dear to my heart. Our indigenous people in Puerto Rico are Tainos. And there is some words that that I, I just recently learned this, that the word ching ching comes from Taino. Did you know that, Miguel? Wait, I didn't Taino? know that. That means a little bit of here, a little bit over there. And I was like, really? That's a Taino word? Wow. And coqui, of course, is a Taino word yeah. because it's the sound of the frog makes, which, you know, it makes sense. <laughs> and Amaca. And, you know, like, yeah, it was, when we were in Puerto Rico, we got, I was so lucky that we were there where they had the indigenous festival up in Hayuya. And, you know, it, I I was just so thrilled to be able to to see that. And also our first stop that we did when we were there is we visited Thebes and heard the story of, you know, the people, the Carib the indigenous Caribbean people. And I also thought it was important to do that stop when we first got there and just kind of honor the people of the land. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, so, it's so beautiful, right? It's so beautiful and it's still part of our culture and our identity that we need to continue to celebrate we're, we're down to the rapid fire questions so are you ready are you are ready for very this? quick answers okay. oh, quick, no thinking quick one one word answers or that could be a sentence <laughs> it could be a sentence it just has to be quick okay. all right um, all right so favorite spanish word or phrase that doesn't translate into english doesn't translate well. Apapachar. Oh, indigenous. <laughs> to hug with their soul. Oh, say it oh, again. I like that. That's cute. Apapachar. Apapachar. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Miguel, right, you can say, repeat, repeat, Miguel. Apapachar. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Best Mexican food in LA. Ooh. Um, the tacos by my mom's house is a taco truck. Best al pastor tacos ever. It's always the trucks that have like amazing <laughs> Mexican food. <laughs> All right. Beach or mountains? Both. <laughs> <laughs> there's cities, there's cities where there's both like Santa Marta, yeah. Rio. I, I want it all. <laughs> <laughs> um, proudest teacher moment. Ooh, um, I don't know. I, I think it's just hearing stories, but no, there is one time where I think that um, it was just when kids want to, or kids or adults or whoever I'm teaching, when they're having fun and they want to come and they want to participate, that's when I feel like, yes, this is a good moment. Yeah. And so what is the most common fear that you hear about learning Spanish? 
um, the most common fear is like, they're not going to understand me. They're going to, you know, they're going to think I'm dumb. They're going to, um, they're going to laugh at me. They're going to, you know, they're, they're really going to think I'm not intelligent and they're not going to understand me. Yeah, I guess we talked about that a lot already. So that's definitely mm-hmm. true. Um, Mexico or Puerto Rico for vacation? I know this is probably a difficult one. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, for vacation, it is hard. I think for to relax and just enjoy nature, Puerto Rico, to go shopping and to eat Mexico. <laughs> mm. Interesting. The good thing about Puerto Rico too is that you don't need a passport if you don't have one and you're a yeah. US citizen. So um yeah. Spanish or Latin dish you would love to learn to cook. Um I would love to make mole from scratch. I've mm. never done that. Yeah. That is a process. Yeah, I'm sure that <laughs> takes a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um and finally, where can people connect with you? At Spanish Sin Pena, everywhere, I think, you know, our web, everything Spanish Sin Pena, our website, our Instagram. Um, our Instagram's probably more the up to date. So, any information that we have going on, you can find it there. Uh, but yeah. You have a huge following on Instagram and Facebook. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I have a partner who focuses on that. I don't, <laughs> which is beautiful. I focus, she focuses on that. I focus on the teaching. And it's so funny. A lot of people are like, our students say like, oh, I found you. I was talking about, you know, learning Spanish and the algorithm just knows, you know, is hearing. And then all of a sudden Spanish Simpena pops up in an ad. But the thing is, we've never purchased any ads on Instagram Everything has been organic. Oh. So our students think that, you know, we're out there like putting um, ads and no, we haven't, we have, we don't really do much advertising. It It's all like just word of mouth and, and people sharing. And my partner, Jackie, who we call her the social media bruja because she's able oh, yeah. to do that. <laughs> I like that. And That's then a you, guys, you guys were on, what was it, Me Too? Right, the yeah. YouTube channel that was part of I that's how I heard about Spanish Simpena originally. Yeah. From the video. So yeah. it could be largely with all the interviews that you had that that's really boosting your, you know, your credibility on on these social networks. Because one of the things that um I had an article out in New York, it was a New York magazine, The Strategist, where they talked about my cooking class. And if it wasn't for that, it's like, I don't know where I would have gone. It really pushed my class and, and basically did all the advertising for me. So it was very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Right, Wendy? We're almost at the end, sadly. <laughs> I'm going to miss you. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun talking to both of you, too. Thank you so much for joining us here on More Than Rice and Beans. We love the work that you're doing and building the Spanish-speaking community and can't wait to see these future leaders you're working with change the world. Thank you. And thank you for being part of the community. Thank you, Miguel, for being a student and also supporting other students. Thank thank you, Tanya, for teaching a class. And hopefully we can continue working and collaborating together in the future. Thank you for listening to this episode of More Than Rice and Beans. And a special thank you to our guest, Wendy Ramirez. If you want to hear from more people like Wendy, make sure you're subscribed to the show and that your notifications are turned on. And if you're interested in connecting with Spanish and Latinx culture through food, take a look at our current experiences at cookythechef.com. We have in-person and virtual classes to choose from, and I'm always happy to practice a little Spanish while we cook together. That's C-O-Q-U-I-TheChef.com. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>